You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, and we are so glad that you are joining us for episode 115 of these 30 minutes discussing the biblical narrative. Joining me, as always, is Matt and Nathan Van Horn. Last name guy. uh, That's right, last name guy. And soon to be, as we talked about uh, the last couple episodes, soon to be the initials, initials, then last name guy. Man, Um, I will have... At that time, at that point, we have to write a better than fiction Bible podcast book of some sort. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, and, 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 don't look and, at me. And we're going to publish it the same way. It's no, gonna man. Be, the only it's way it's going to be by initials. Matt. It's going to be by Matt Gandalf and N.W. Van Horn. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the the only way you get to be initials theologian is either have to be dead or people have to think that you're dead. We are actually we're we're going to be true to our word for for our predictions on when we're moving on. We we said that twenty two was going to be wrapped up last episode, and lo and behold, we have actually wrapped up twenty two. We're going to be in twenty three, unless Matt Nathan did did you guys have any last minute observations you guys wanted to do in 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 uh, chapter twenty two? We'll reference it as we move on. And okay, well, believe it or not, to capture this week's story, we're going to let Nathan read the whole chapter. A the whole chapter? Well, a- it's really kind of one story. Now, we won't hit the we'll there'll be at least two episodes out of this. This but... this, this was decided while I was taking a phone call, apparently. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, um, but you're but you're right. serious. Yeah, man. Read that whole thing, man. We we've got to well, have there... the full context for this thing to make sense. Even Whoop, though we there... already know the high points what we're hitting at the beginning. Whoop, there it is. Yep. Um well I will read from Genesis chapter twenty three. Until we get to Genesis 24, and as always, it is from the English Standard Version, good old ESV. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went out and, and, excuse me, and Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me. Uh, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron uh, was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I will give you the field, and I will give you the cave that is in it. And the sight of the sons of my people, I will give it to you. Bury your dead. 
Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me, I, I give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I might bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth uh, a piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was at the which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of, the, of his city. After this, Abraham buried, his wife, buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as a property for a burying place by the Hittites. Man, great job! That was thank you, Nathan. That was now, a marathon. I, there, there was kind of like, you know that song. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. There's a hole in the bottom <laughs> of the sea. There's a log on the hole in the bottom of the sea. There's a fry. Yeah, you know, the, there's that effect to Genesis 23. Um, yeah. there, but they're repeating. I mean, if if you're a listener of the show, you hear a lot of stuff in there that's been mentioned before. Why are we? Why do we keep mentioning Hebron? Why do we keep mentioning Mamre? You, you know, like what? You, you know what I'm saying? Um, right. In fact, Gandalf, do you remember where did we first read about Mamre? Uh, we're talking about the Oaks of Mamre, right? Yeah, what took place there, specifically with Sarah? Let's see, that was, that was where she was told that she would um, bear a son. That's right, and she laughed. laughed. She laughed. She, she, she hurriedly made um, bread. Mm-hmm. That's right for for the for God and the angels. Um, just prior to the episode, Gandalf and I got an opportunity to talk about this a little bit more while Nathan was handling some business, and and even, Nathan, even by the way, even even the Hittites, we've only we've only heard of the Hittites one time before this. That's right, and Genesis it's Genesis 15. fifteen. Yeah, it's the passage of the promise of an heir. That's right. What's also interesting is Nathan last week when we talked about. It's the genealogy at the end of 22. The last time we read about Abraham's genealogy connected to Terah, because we're reading about, you know, Nahor, his brother, and where, you know, ultimately Rebecca is going to, to emerge. But the last time we read about that is Genesis 11. Now, mm. what's, what's interesting to me is in Genesis 11, Terah dies in Haran. And Abraham's daughter, excuse me, Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was also Terah's daughter, he does not return her to be buried with her father's house. Interesting. Nor does he go. This is where, this is his first, like, legal owning of the promised land when he buys this field. And well, this yeah. is also going to be the place where Jacob is going to be buried and Isaac's going to be buried and Joseph is going to be buried like this. And, in becomes... fact, in fact, when they go out of the promised land, they've got to bring Joseph's bones back to the back. Spot. And they do the same with Jacob in yeah. Genesis 50. So this is all I'm saying is someone who's buried a son is that 
family cemeteries mean something. Well, y'all make mm-hmm. y'all make an annual trip. Yeah, it's it's more than an annual trip, but you make an annual trip for that purpose. That's right. We make an annual trip in May just to visit his grave, even though we go throughout the year to visit my family and always stop to see his grave. Um, um, but family cemeteries, it means something. Well, you know, and and in the context of what we've talked about with Abraham, you know, you went, you mentioned uh, all the stuff from Genesis eleven. When we're introduced to Abraham the first time through a genealogy, it's Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, and you're told straight out of the gate she's childless. Oh, and in yeah. the, 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 the very next chapter, God says, "I'm going to give you descendants." And I'm going to give you a land. And the whole saga of Abraham's story is he's the sojourner who doesn't have a place. And he's waiting until chapter 21 for a descendant. And then Genesis 22 gets uh, gets here. And the climactic story of the Abraham narrative is whether or not he's willing to offer back to God the thing that God has entrusted to him. Right? Right. And the climactic demonstration of his faith after the provision Uh, the whole Isaac story, which we've been talking about. And what's interesting is after Genesis 22, um, the Abraham story is, it starts to play out. Like we're segueing pretty quickly to the Isaac story. I say all that to say this, Abraham is promised this, this huge inheritance of descendants. And, and, and as his story plays out, he really only has one main one. Abraham has promised this whole land, and the only part of it he lays hold of in his lifetime is the part that he purchases to bury his wife. Mm. Yeah. But it's also the the demonstration of faith that, hey, I'm I'm being buried here. It's it's the whole Tamaris tree. I'm planting this in Beersheba because this is one day it's going to be the southern boundary. Yeah, that's it. it That's it. I, I think of Ephesians chapter one, where Paul talks about the Holy Spirit as the down payment of your inheritance. Inheritance is a big word for anyone who's read the Old Testament. Mm. Um, Abraham does not want to be gifted this. He wants legal proof. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, one other thing that's really interesting to me, just talking about just the blessing of Abraham, is we did a little research on this. The first time I ever actually encountered this was on, I believe it was on the Discovery Channel a few years ago, or maybe it was National Geographic. It was up until about 100, 150 years ago, uh, archaeologists and historians did not even accept that the Hittites were a real people. In fact, it was widely believed that the Hittites were just made up by the Bible. Yeah, so you had two books written in the 1970s by uh, Old Testament scholars. One was The Historicity of the Patriarchal Narratives by Thomas Thompson, and the other one was John Van Cedar's uh, Abraham in History and Tradition. I had to read these when I was working on my dissertation for Abraham. Um, And they really made a strong argument, uh, or at least uh, an argument that was strongly latched onto, uh, about the lack of evidence for the patriarchal narratives. Uh, one of the things I've never been able to get around, uh, and I think K.A. Kitchen touches on this in his book, The the Reliability of the Old Testament, um, is is the Hittite thing. It's or and things like the Hittite thing. Without the Old Testament, until the nineteenth century archaeology turned over Hittite remains, without the Old Testament, you would have no mention of the Hittites in antiquity. <laughs> That's right. And then the remains would have just been, who are these at this point? You know, we, yeah. we, we know they were somebody's, 
But they, you know, they, when they found the Hittite, they couldn't even read the language. They didn't even know what it was. Uh, it was just a forgotten civilization. And then all the while it was this people that is mentioned in the Bible. And it, it's just interesting to me that it's to your point that had the Hittites not been mentioned to Abraham, had they not been connected to Abraham in some way, they would have been totally forgotten to history, even and, after mm. their civilization was discovered. And, and what and what gets them mentioned? They helped him possess the land, <laughs> mm. even if it's through economic transaction. <laughs> Man, um, you know, so four hundred shekels. So that's a lot. So they're, they're mentioned in Genesis fifteen, uh, which is where the promise is reiterated, and Abraham uh, exercises, demonstrates justifying faith. Right. Um, mm -hmm. They're mentioned here in 23, where he lays hold of the only piece of land in the promised land that he owns in his lifetime. But because of that, um, the Hittites get woven in more intimately to the biblical story. Even during the time of David, David's sin is with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah ding, ding, the ding. Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. Uh, yeah, they end up they end up being the Hittites end up being a more enduringly significant civilization, precisely by virtue of their dealings with Israel. Also, Esau marries two Hittite women, which didn't really turn out too hot. No, not so well. Not so well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, we all have family okay. drama. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so I have a question about the Hittites. Um, I want to know what their motivation is in being so amicable, like so hospitable to Abraham, like just wanting to give him some land. Well, that seems like that's, kind of a big deal to me. That's debated, right? Mm -hmm. There's a majority um, view and minority view. Yeah. So, so one way you can take this is they're being uh, seemingly nice uh, and 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 actually shady. So, like uh, uh, Middle Eastern culture, you can read about this from like guys like Victor Matthews and Old Testament studies are very in group, out group. And when you're dealing with out group, you don't always owe them truthful, straightforward dealings. And so. Some might say that they were saying, hey, well, let's let's deal with this now. Abraham has a large entourage. Let's just say we gave him the cave, and that way we can dispute the territory later. Not like that's ever happened in the Middle East, right? <laughs> right. Oh, never, um, never. Right. Um, and, uh, and others would say, hey, no, they so, they so strongly realize that God is with this dude, kind of the language of the passage, right? You're a prince of God. Um, they so strongly recognize recognize that God is dealing or blessing Abraham that better to be on the right side of this dude kind of like we see you know Abimelech uh, Abraham had his initial dealing with Abimelech and then not so long after that Abimelech comes back and says okay let's be above board this time and then after Abraham <laughs> dies Ab Abimelech will entreat with Isaac right right you want to be on the right side of Abraham you know we we've said many times it's not bad to be related to Abraham, but if you can't be his relative, try to be his ally. <laughs> mm. um, it reminds me of that of that scene in the animated Lion King where Timon and Pumbaa find uh, Simba like comatose on the ground, and they're like debating what to do with him. And Pumbaa's like, he'll like Timon's like he's gonna wake up and he's gonna get big. And Pumbaa says he, maybe he'll be on our side. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Nathan, we were talking about the movie beforehand, The Emperor's Club, and just thinking about the Hittite Empire not even being remembered, um, yet their their contribution to history, in the in, to written history, is they made a deal with Abraham, yeah. arguably one of the most famous people in the world. 
Uh, oh, you're, not, yeah, you're uh, talking about the Shitrick Nahunte plaque yeah, in the Emperor's Club? Yeah, in the Emperor's Club movie. Yeah, uh, in the Emperor's Club, there's they're studying history and all these people and all these names, and so ironically, the professor has them, uh, every day they turn around and they read this plaque that most of them memorize. It's actually pivotal to the plot. Sure. Um, but they, they memorize this uh, plaque about this guy named Shitrick Nahunte, um, and he has them memorize it because for all the things they study, this plaque is just very self-aggrandizing about who Shutrik Nahunte was in his own words, and yet no one knows his name. In other words, they study the Caesars, but they've heard of Julius Caesar before they take the class. Like, it, you know, growing up in America, long before you study any American history, you know you don't want to be called a Benedict Arnold. Mm, right? That's right. Um, uh, but none of these guys know who Shutrik Nahunte is. And and that's the teacher's point is Shutrik Nahunte said he did all of these things, but he had absolutely no contribution to world history other than his own self-aggrandizing estimation of himself. And he makes this quote that great co- great ambition and conquest without contribution is ultimately meaningless. Uh, so so what did the Hittites do in, in world history? Right. Right. Uh, do you remember the quote? Yeah, I, I just put it up there if you wanted to read it, or I'll read it. Oh, there it is. Oh, pay pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You you, you read it. You read it. <laughs> okay. We I never we Nuhente. never cheat. We never cheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am Shadrach Nuhunte, king of Asan, or Asan and Susa, sovereign of the land of Elam, by the command of Aishushink. How do you say that? Aishushnik. Shushnik. I didn't. I didn't remember the quote, so I'm not going <laughs> to pretend. Okay. I just destroyed so in, far. In, in Shushinak. Let's yeah, in Shushinak, that sounds good. Took the steel of Nirensen and brought it back to Alam, where I erected it. I erected it as an offering to my God in Shushinak. And the the point is, is we don't know what it, I know where Alam is, but that's about it. Like in Susa, we know Susa, but the the rest of it is like, who is this guy? Even he's just lost to hit, lost to history. This and this was significant. At the t- this guy this was lived significant. after Moses too. Yeah, this was significant at the time for this dude to brag about it. Right. Yeah, (laughs) it made sense then. But we don't know who it is. Um, This this is like this is like it reminds me one of my favorite uh, philosophers uh, back in the day to read about is uh, Diogenes the Cynic. Oh yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, I love I love uh, me some Diogenes. Oh yeah, you know, tell Alexander he's standing in my light. Uh, But one of the one of the most famous uh, alleged exchanges is between Diogenes. And Alexander, where Alexander uh, Diogenes is examining some uh, skeletal remains, and Alexander says, uh, "What perplexes you?" And Diogenes says, "I am unable to distinguish between the bones of your father and the bones of his <clears throat> slaves." Um, yeah. That's what's the contribution? What do you get remembered for? And the Hittites mm. function in the narrative and have, even before we had archaeological for remains for the Hittites. We had the Bible because the Hittites sold Abraham some land. Mm. Um, I I always like how when something is only mentioned in the Bible and has no like archaeological evidence, people are like, "Ah, well, but it, that was the Bible just made, made it up." up. Yeah. And then it's like, "Oh, lo and behold, we were right again." How about that? Well, I mean, this was I mean, like there's stuff in the 20th century, like the the Sheep Gate, which is referenced in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was found late in the game, and forever people are like, "No." Nah, Bible's just making that up. Um, okay. Or I'm, or I'm thinking about like uh, the existence of Pontius Pilate. Can, can't you oh, just yeah. see the biblical? Can't you just? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, now you have the, the Pontius Pilate inscription at Caesarea Maritima. 
Um, but I mean, it's, it's like anytime you don't have immediate verification, people are like, man, those biblical writers just sitting around saying this will throw them a bone. This will send them off. You know, uh, this will frustrate them. Um, um, boy, boy, they were committed to verisimilitude. (laughs) Well, I, I think the big application here is probably, um, or at least the takeaway from the story. I mean, it pays to be connected to Abraham is definitely a major point here. But I think the big resting place here is that Abraham is choosing the resting place of his family in the land of promise. Yeah. Not, not I love that. Is, not only is he not withholding his son in the previous chapter, he's not withholding his dead either that I'm not taking them back home to my father's house. He this, entrusts his living and his dead to the Lord's. Oh, promises. that's it. Brother, that's that'll it. preach. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. That'll preach. I love that. So he, he's oh. giving both of them to God's promises. Also, I like at the end of the chapter and verses 17 forward that a lot of description is given of the place as well. And and I think Oh yeah, this part, this is legal. Yeah. All, all, all the people at the gate of the city are witnessing this. That's right. And and also that you know, as they're experiencing the exodus, you're about to go back into this place. You'll be able to recognize this spot. You own this spot. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you Literally, you own this spot. Yeah, that's great. This part's already been paid 400 for. 400 shekels. You paid for it. This part's already been paid for. Um, the no, and, and what I love, again, is, is, again, not just on the Hittite end, on Abraham's end. Uh, this is the significance of Abimelech on both sides of this. Um, it's not just what are their motives, it's what's Abraham's motive. Again, at the front end of this, when Abraham is kind of like, uh, for le- for lack of a better word, stumbling through the realization of God's promises, Abraham's not always above board himself. Half-truths, mm. this is my sister, right? That's right. Mm. He, he doesn't yeah. present her as his sister here. He's not worried about, you know, he, he's not worried about being, the Isaac thing is just this culminating moment of, God can be trusted to deliver on his promises. And the same the same Abraham who was not always above board and, you know, uh, straightforward in his dealings with the people of the land is above board and, and insists on this being legally binding, right? Man, uh, it, it, that is not so just, good, Nathan. Just it's not just speaking that of character development. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, there's, not, there's a... And I'm speaking just so people understand not the development of the character in the story Abraham, as in Abraham the character. I'm talking about development of his personal integrity, personal character over time, that you're you're seeing how how much this man has grown through the years. Yeah, and, and just a word on, I, I know we stress this every so often, uh, but this is a really good case in point. If you heard me reading that chapter earlier, um, you heard me say the same details over and over again. And anytime you're reading Hebrew narrative and you hear the same details over and over again, it's because they're probably some really important signifying details. Um, um, but I mean, Genesis 50 culminates with this burial site. The end of the book ends here because Abraham's going to be buried here. Jacob is going to be buried here. Leah is going to be buried here. Rachel does not get buried here, but but still, this this is the place uh, that we're going to revisit the site again and again. Yeah, and again, 
other uh, we talk about the and I know we need to wind down. Um, we talk about the Abraham story winding down after Genesis twenty two. Like after this, they're gonna find a wife for Isaac, and then Abraham's pretty much gonna die. <laughs> mm-hmm. But one of the last significant things Abraham does is buy this land. Mm. Uh, like Ab- Abraham's whole life is is laying hold of a very small piece of the realization of God's promises to him. But in that very small piece that he possesses, there is a testament and in faith uh, to the delivery of the entire thing. It reminds me of um, something my granddad told me years ago. It, when he was younger, uh, he always, always wanted to have a pool uh, at his house. But he never did. Uh, but once he had grandkids, he bought and built a pool that essentially he never swam in. But we did. Mm. And th- he said that was way more fulfilling to him than ever having it for himself. I think that's a part of part of growing up, obviously. But it's also it's it's just looking forward. Yeah. And this we is see uh, the hopeful expectation here. A- Abraham plants trees and buys a cave. Matt's granddad built a pool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, that's the a- same a- thing. Ancestral yep. swimming pool. That's right. Mm. Well, listener, as we're going to wrap up, you know what? I'm going to break with tradition. Uh, there's no segue. So there's no there's no clever wordplay today. Um, my metrics tell me that 80% of you who have recently started listening have not subscribed to the Better Than Fiction Bio podcast, and I would like for you to uh, join the fold as you know kind of like what we've learned here it, it pays to be a friend of abraham and it also pays to be a friend of the better than fiction bible podcast which you can do if you subscribe that way you're getting a notification every tuesday morning when we release a new episode discussing a little bit more of the biblical narrative so please do that on whatever platform you're listening and if you're feeling uh, extra generous give us a written review on apple podcasts um, that is huge for us. And if you're feeling super, super generous, maybe send us a message on our website, better than fiction, Bible podcast.com. But until next Tuesday, we will see you and you guys have a great week. See you next time. Shalom. Yeah. T- at least two of them were mine. <laughs>